Father, we confess that whether with intent or on purpose, there are days when we, when we miss the mark. And so we ask that you would uh, work in us, that you would forgive us of our sins, those that we commit on purpose, those that we have no idea that we committed. Would you give us the grace and the mercy to forgive ourselves? And would you help us to celebrate ourselves and to celebrate one another? We're reminded that the kingdom of God was seen in the church in Acts. When the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, people were bewildered. They could not believe that they could see one another for the first time or that they could see the God in one another for the first time. And it was as if a violent wind had shook them. They could see and hear things for the first time and they were amazed. We remember in those first days that there were people who could hear one another and they were from all kinds of different places. There were Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and all the different parts of Libya near Cyrene. There were even visitors from Rome. There were Cretans and Arabs. And they, the first church heard all declaring the wonders of their God in their own tongues. And everyone was amazed. This is what we long for here in our church. May we follow Jesus so that he might lead us in this way. And we pray these things in his strong name. Amen. Good evening. My name is Mikhail, and I get to serve as one of the pastors here. But I am here because places that tell the truth are hard to come by these days. And I'm grateful for a community that's committed to telling the truth. Tonight, our text comes from Matthew chapter 5, and uh, we will not have ushers bring books um, because we're using the new international version. But if you have something on your phone or tablet that you want to turn to, go ahead and do that. As Pastor Chris and Banning have already said, we are in the season of epiphany, the season of brilliant, blinding light as God throws open the curtains and reveals God's self to us. And uh, during this season of epiphany in 2020, we are focusing on healing, in particular in this season, the kind of healing that is wholly unexpected and perhaps not asked for the kind of healing that comes as a surprise when we have misdiagnosed our own problems and are asking for a very different cure than what Jesus wants to provide. And so it seems to us that the text coming to us during this this, um, season of the lectionary is very fitting as Jesus kind of, again, in the Sermon on the Mount, um, reveals things to us that we didn't know we needed healed. Last week, we talked about um, Jesus's, really his message of repent and uh, because the kingdom of heavens has come near now. And we are invited not just into a heavenly hereafter, but we are invited to participate in God's life now. And so the rest of this sermon unfolds as an invitation and as an explanation of what this kind of life looks like. And it begins 
with the Beatitudes, perhaps some of Jesus' most famous and also least understood words. (laughs) I will confess to you that in the process of uh, preparing this sermon this week, I had my own experiences of unexpected healing and astonishment and found that the sermon I thought I was preparing turned out to be a very different sermon indeed. And so I would ask, um, I know that we've been in prayer already throughout the service, but I would ask that we pause just for a second and that you might pray for me and that we together would pray that we hear what the Spirit would have us to hear this evening. So Lord, this is your place. We are your people. Would you multiply the loaves and the fishes that are my own preparation and my own words? And would you, Holy Spirit, stir in our hearts, help us to hear and imagine and believe what you have for us together. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll ask you to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be fed. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and so together we say, thanks be to God. You may be seated. Early in Christianity, the Beatitudes and all of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount were noticed and repeated as the cornerstone of Christian teaching. Somewhere along the way, we have not always used these words as the cornerstone of Christian teaching, or we have maybe relegated them to pretty poem that we don't know what it means, or we have no way of living it out, and so it is ignored because it's misunderstood. We think maybe these words are kind of cringeworthy, like a patronizing pat on the back for those who are literally suffering. I've walked through mourning with several of my friends and family this week as my my family uh, back in Ohio has lost friends very dear to us. And it seems very insensitive at the least to say, 
oh, you who mourn, you are actually blessed <laughs> because God will comfort you. I don't want that. That's not really helpful. It's also not very helpful if we read these as words of prescription, that it's only the poor and the mourning and the hungry and the thirsty and the merciful who have entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Because doesn't that just make legalism into a different form? We're still trying to live up to a new kind of standard. And even though there's a, a different kind of prescription than maybe how we would normally think about earning our way in, it's, it's still not really freedom from earning ourselves or measuring up to a certain kind of standard. And then some people have said that it's descriptive of what heaven will be like in the by and by. And we have to wait centuries, a lifetime or more, before we really understand and receive the fullness of what these words mean for us. But what happened to me this week was that I was reminded of the prophets. In fact, most particularly the prophet Isaiah. And I was reminded that Jesus used and preached and lived with and prayed with the prophets probably more than we realize. In fact, some of Jesus' words in the Beatitudes are almost like his riff on Isaiah chapter 61. It's like Jesus putting all of these prophetic, long-standing, rich tradition into the here and now in his life and in his ministry and saying it in a fresh, new way, in a whole new reality. Listen to these words from Isaiah chapter 61, which in Luke, the Gospel of Luke, records as the text for Jesus' first public sermon. Isaiah says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and a day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Remember that Jesus is saying, reconsider how you've been thinking about things. God's kingdom, God's presence and power, God, God's self is available to you here and now. And so this long-awaited-for, much-anticipated, long-talked-about day of God's coming, when these words and many more of Isaiah's would come to fulfillment, Jesus is saying, today's the day. It's here. Sometimes we think the word blessed means how we pray it. Oh, Lord, bless so-and-so, because we don't know really else how to pray for them. 
(laughs) But when Jesus says, blessed are the, he's using a terminology that isn't a wish or a prayer for the future. It's a statement of a current reality, a privilege or a joy of a spiritual uh, kind of state that is happening right now. It's like as if someone were to say, blessed is the happy daughter of Mr. Jones because she will inherit the Joneses farm one day. That's perfectly true. It's real. It's both now and the fulfillment of it is to come. The blessings, the blesseds, the beatitudes are in the present tense. It's a statement of current reality. So when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, he's saying, really, the people who are poor in spirit are in on it. They're they're in it. It's theirs. The people who are humble of heart, the people who are not so much uh, self-righteous and self-sufficient, but the people who are actively dependent upon and aware of God's activity are the poor in spirit. When he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, he's kind of using a play on words because in the prophetic tradition, mourning is both the grief that happens for those who are oppressed and the bereft who have lost a lot of people or possession or freedom in this life, but it's also the word used to kind of as a catalyst to bring people into the mourning that is necessary for true repentance, to mourn the way that things are or the sin that is involved, to mourn and rip our clothes apart, the prophets say, and to change, into real change. And so Jesus says both those who are mourning because of their oppression and their loss and those who mourn because they are grieved to their spirit, God will comfort them. When he says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, Jesus is talking not necessarily about someone that's a pushover or someone that is a mat that others walk on top of, but it's someone who isn't actively working for their own reward. This word could also be translated as, blessed are they who are tamed, And their own will has been subdued to the will of God. Blessed are they who have learned to follow God's desires. Blessed are they who want what God wants and go after it. And all that God has will be theirs as well. For they will inherit the earth. When he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness... It's hard for us who have running water and grocery stores and convenience stores and frozen meals, it's hard for us to understand the severity of hunger and thirst to the people that Jesus was talking about or talking to. Hungering and thirsting as if our lives depend upon it. And when he talks about righteousness, he's not just talking about kind of the showy righteousness that maybe turns us off, those heaping up of good deeds to make other people know that we're in good. The prophetic tradition of righteousness 
is best described by Micah, the prophet, who says, what, what is it that God wants? What is this righteousness or this rightness? He has shown you, humans, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? What is the righteousness to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? Righteousness is justice. It is working for things to be right, both, yes, within ourselves, but also in the world around us. It's working with God to do God's work of restoring peace and wholeness and delivering justice. Then Jesus says, blessed are those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And what's remarkable is that this is a word, mercy, that all throughout scripture is much more descriptive of God's activity than any human activity. It is God who shows compassion, who brings healing and deliverance. And so, blessed are the ones who are so loyal, who are in so deep into God's activity and have received all of God's mercy that they too act merciful. And the mercy and the compassion and the healing and the deliverance will continue to come. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Is a remarkable phrase in Jesus' time because everybody in his era was obsessed with purity. They talked about purity in all kinds of ways other than the heart. There were like literally thousands and millions of words written on the best way to purify one's hands and one's body, one's food, one's house, one's clothes. No one was talking about what it meant to be pure in heart. And if we think that pure in heart is our job and we have to purify our hearts before we're able to enter into the kingdom of heaven, well, we're, we're pretty much doomed, <laughs> But purity in heart, again, in the tradition that Jesus is speaking from, is about singleness of purpose and motivation. It is about having not just a, a spotless heart necessarily, but an undivided heart. One that is whole, focused, single-minded. We think of the psalmist who says, one thing I ask and this is all I seek, that I may dwell in the house of God forever. This is the purity of heart, the singleness of mind and intention that allows us to see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, he says, for they will be called sons and daughters of God. Peacemakers is not the same thing as pacifists. It is people who actively work for peace where there is none. It is people who take risk upon themselves even, putting themselves in the middle, harmed sometimes, often, for their own desire to bring peace and in so doing, take on the family business. And they become visible images of God's children. Look, there's little God. It looks like the one who brings peace. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And here is the summary and climax where Jesus really rips it open and, and the, everyone is able to see and hear for the first time, oh, this isn't just theoretical. Jesus is talking about the here and now and also about himself. He's saying that those who align with him, that, that see Jesus at the very center, at the apex of all of this, um, will be in the same way that Jesus has been, harmed, perhaps, misunderstood, perhaps, suffering, perhaps, but not, not damaged goods. Jesus says, blessed are you when you follow the same footsteps of those faithful ones like all the prophets before and like Jesus himself who were so heaven-minded, so devoted to the kingdom of God that the earth couldn't handle them anymore. And so Jesus is not giving us a prescription or racking up a list of exclusive club of unwanted peoples to combat the exclusive club of wanted peoples. He's not saying, you know, the world says blessed are the rich, so I say blessed are the poor, and we're only going to be a part of poor people. No, he's, he's, not, even, he's not even doing an in-and-out scenario at all. In fact, what Jesus is doing is fully stepping into the beautiful and mysterious and evocative role of prophet when he is judging and dismantling the old way of doing things and stirring up imaginations for a whole new reality. The scholar Walter Brueggemann calls this the work of the prophetic imagination. When the prophets from old all the way until Jesus point out all of the hallmarks and the landmarks of the empires around them, or as Brueggemann calls it, the royal consciousness. The powers that be have a way of talking about the world and giving us a narrative that makes it seem like that's just the way it's always been. And it is the role of the prophet to call their bluff. And to say, no, no, not only is it not the way it's always been, it is not the way it will always be. And in fact, there is a whole new reality now present to you if you choose to see it and live it, imagine it. And so Jesus invites us to see the true reality that is actually God's reality, God's realm, God's kingdom, God's person showing up, inviting us to join in. In fact, inviting us out of the empire and inviting us into the kingdom. This week was quite a week for the news, if one was writing a sermon on the Beatitudes. 
with all of the wars and rumors of wars and accidentally shot down planes and all of the mourning and all of the grieving and all of the turmoil and all of the things. And I gave some thought to what might the beatitudes of an empire be, whether it be Greek empire or Roman empire or American empire or Iranian empire or any other time or place. What what does an empire say is the happy kind of life? What does that narrative sound like? And I think there probably are all kinds of possibilities and, and probably different strains, culturally speaking. But as I kind of surveyed what was going on around us, I thought maybe the beatitudes of the empire might sound like this. Blessed are the rich and powerful, for they will get what they want. Blessed are the happy, for they never have to cry. Their mascara never has to run and they never have to use Kleenex. Blessed are the opportunistic, for they will create their own world for themselves. Blessed are the ones who are well-fed, and satisfied, for they will never have to be uncomfortable. Blessed are the ones who punch back harder, or better yet, punch first, for they will never have to be bullied. Blessed are they who are flawlessly beautiful, because everyone wants to look at them. Blessed are the ones who give people what they want, for they will be well-liked. Blessed are the ones who keep their heads down and mind their own business, for they will continue to live in safety. Blessed are you when people speak well of you and chase after you and say all kinds of flattering things about you because then you know you've made it. Rejoice. And be glad then, for you are being rewarded in the same way that all the influential, famous, rich, healthy, fat people have been rewarded before you. And into this story of empire, Jesus the prophet says, Blessed are you, when you are not satisfied with the way things are. Because then you're ready for things to be the way they ought to be. Blessed are you when you find yourself at odds with the powers that be in the world and when you find yourself in line with the true power. Blessed are those who are courageous enough to call the narratives of the empire into question, for they have put their trust in the right place. And so the people hearing Jesus' words some 2,000 years ago and today are confronted with an upside-down world that is being set right side up. And it is okay if it makes us feel a little bit dizzy. Sometimes it takes us a while to reacclimate. 
And if we continue with the illustration last week, if we are confined into kind of a dark hole or a basement and we just feel like we just need a little, like a little pen flashlight is going to get us by and all of a sudden Jesus breaks open the basement wall and light comes flooding in. As we're walking out into the light, the real sunlight for the very first time on a totally sunny day, what are you going to do? Uh, blink a whole lot. You're going to shade your eyes. It's going to be hard to see. And ultimately, we have to make a decision whether we're going to continue walking into the light and fully adjust to it, or whether we're going to go back inside and prefer artificial lights instead. And it seems that this is the choice that Jesus puts out for us. This is the new reality if we choose it. No, that's not quite true because the reality is there whether we choose it or not. This is the new reality for us if we choose to be a part of it. And so I think it's okay for us to begin to imagine and be honest with our wonderings. What, what would this actually look like? How does one enter into this kind of narrative? How does one begin to see and operate in the world in this way? Well, I think that is a really good thing to ponder and imagine. But I have some thoughts to offer. First, maybe if we really fully embrace this and adjusted to this full sunlight way of looking at the world, Maybe we wouldn't chase after and cling to power and wealth as much as if it were the stuff that saved us. And maybe we could focus our attention on the purity of our motives and the single-minded pursuit of holy things rather than how other people perceive us to be. And maybe... Maybe if mourning weren't something that had to be avoided at all cost, lest our mascara run, maybe we could actually have more honest confession. And maybe we could recognize the full ugliness of individual and societal sin in a way that led us into grief that allowed for true and meaningful repentance, changing of mind and turning around and finding a new way to do things. And maybe, maybe even if our own mourning wasn't like that, maybe if mourning wasn't to be avoided at all costs, maybe we could at least just acknowledge and join in with those who are in mourning rather than trying to shush them all the time. I think it could look like organizations like Preemptive Love. I listened to a podcast this week of people now who have been at work in Iraq since, actually I'm not sure which war they began working there. They've been there a long time. And they are American Christians who have said, if we're going to send bombs there, let's at least send people there to love and to be bridges of peace and restoration. And the quote that... I couldn't 
jar from my memory this week is them saying, there are not enough bullets or bombs that can make peace here or anywhere. I think it looks like the lives that we heard from in November as we studied the lives of saints like Frederick Douglass and Harriet Tubman and Howard Thurman, men and women who are hungry and thirsty for what is right and will not be satisfied with anything less. Hearts set on fire with single-minded purpose. I think it looks like people who are so changed by the radical mercy of God that they are devoted to be generous giving Uh, generous givers of mercy for others. This is the new reality that we are invited to be a part of. And so I think the question before us today is, what will we do with that? Are we ready? Are we willing? Are we okay with submitting to Jesus' new definition of reality? Will we be converted in every old and new sense of the word? Will we be converted into seeing the world in this way? Will we repent, change our minds, reconsider, turn around, and begin living as if this was true? These are the questions I think we have to wrestle with when we hear the words of the Beatitudes. And so I want to give you a couple of minutes. I imagine that our wrestling will continue throughout the week. I hope that it does. But before we come to the table of Jesus, I invite us just to pause, to take a breath. Maybe you want to close your eyes. What do you make of this new reality that Jesus has painted before us? Jesus, we confess that we are dizzy, that our eyes sting, and we confess that at times we can't quite tell if we are invited into a good new life or if we're leaving the good life behind. Please give us the grace, Holy One, to see as you see. Be patient with us, teacher. And stir within us a desire and an imagination for the reality that you call into existence. We ask that you would do this even now and that we would never grow tired of your expansive work in our hearts and our minds and our imaginations. Amen.